I'd like to invite you to turn to Genesis 45. It truly is a great joy to be here with you, and I have the privilege of uh, continuing the sermon series that you as a church are doing in Genesis. Uh, Joel asked if I could preach in the sermon series that you're in, and uh, I said, well, that depends what chapter you're going to give me and how much I like that particular chapter. <laughs> we went into the negotiations on a chapter, but, but I couldn't believe he gave me the great chapter 45, because this, this whole story, uh, you know, the, the Joseph story that we've seen uh, in these, uh, this, this last section of Genesis, has all the ingredients of a great story. There is jealousy, there is sibling rivalry, there is deception, there is a murder plot, false accusation, uh, slavery, imprisonment, relational drama, guilt and forgiveness, an extraordinary turn of events. So all along, we're on the edge of our seats if we're receiving this narrative the way that it should be received. Chapter 45 is the emotional high point of the Joseph story and what we have in this chapter is one of the greatest stories of forgiveness and relational healing in in all of scripture in all of history our sermon title is finding forgiveness as as Christians we rejoice that we have been forgiven by God He has not dealt with us according to our sins, but according to his mercy. And we, during this service, have celebrated the redeeming love of God through the giving of his son that covers over all our sins. To be a Christian is to be forgiven. And not only are we forgiven, but in the gospel of God's son, when we are forgiven, we then become a community of forgiveness who are called by God to to abound in radical forgiveness and grace toward one another. I have prayed that this passage would deeply shape Redeemer Fellowship, that it would shape your relationships, your community in this church and beyond, that this passage by the grace of God would transform our hearts and our relationships today. Uh, Genesis 45 continues... Uh, The story, two years into the famine, Joseph is governor of Egypt. His brothers had mistreated him uh, 22 years earlier when Joseph was 17 years old. So if you're a teenager and you've known great mistreatment, the Joseph story is for you. He's a 17-year-old who was uh, a victim of incredible uh, injustice and and mistreatment. That's what the story of, of Joseph is. And it was during this famine... His brothers had already traveled to Canaan, uh, from Canaan to Egypt to buy bread. That was chapter 42. Joseph has not revealed his identity, and instead he has arranged circumstances to test his brothers to determine whether or not they've changed. And then at the end of chapter 44, Judah has just given one of the most powerful and moving speeches in the entire Old Testament. It is the elder brother offering himself in place of young Benjamin. And it is after Judah's speech at the end of chapter 44, an emotional speech, an appeal to Joseph that we see Joseph's reply beginning in Genesis 45. We'll read this entire chapter. This is God's holy and authoritative word. Genesis 45, verse 1. 
Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father, he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away and as they departed, he said to them, do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. 
And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. May God bless the preaching of his word. It was C.S. Lewis who once said that everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. The idea of forgiveness, what a lovely idea, until we have something that we ourselves must forgive. But we all have something to forgive and we all stand in need of forgiveness because we all sin in many ways. And it's because Joseph was the victim of his brother's hatred, cruelty, and abuse, it was because he was so greatly sinned against that we have so much to learn from his example of forgiveness. And we should pray today and ask God to open our hearts, to soften our hearts, that we might grow in being a people whose lives are marked by an abundance of forgiveness, forgiveness in the ordinary relationships in our lives, and forgiveness in those relationships where it is most difficult. Corey Ten Boom spent time in a Nazi concentration camp during the Holocaust. Many years later, when she was free, she gave a teaching on forgiveness. And after giving this teaching, she saw a man working his way toward her through the crowd. And it was a man who was one of the most cruel guards at the concentration camp that she had previously been at. And now this man was standing in front of her and it triggered awful memories for Corey Ten Boom. The man said, that was a wonderful message. How good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And he did not remember her, but she remembered him. He said, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. Since that time, I've become a Christian and have asked God to forgive me of the terrible things I've done. I know God has forgiven me and I hope you can as well. Will you forgive me? And he extended his hand. Corey said it was one of the most difficult things she ever had to do. She knew God commands forgiveness and she knew the failure to forgive would be ruinous to her soul. Not only had she just taught on forgiveness, she had also worked with many victims of Nazi brutality and abuse. And what she discovered was that the ones who were able to forgive were the ones who were able to rebuild their lives, while those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids and did not go on to prosper and flourish in life. And so she said, I stood there with coldness, clutching my heart. She prayed in that moment, Jesus, help me. And then she says this, and so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, racing down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. 
And she says, for a long moment we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I have never known God's love so intensely as I did then. One of the most beautiful things in all of life is forgiveness. And at the same time, one of the most challenging things in all of life is forgiveness. Forgiveness does not come easily to us. We are all skilled at justifying our bitterness, skilled at justifying our lack of compassion, our desire for revenge, our emotional and relational withdrawal. And if you've been alive any amount of time, you've seen the destruction that an unforgiving spirit can do. It has broken marriages and families. It has, I am sure for all of us, led at times to relationships marked by tension and conflict rather than peace. God doesn't promise reconciliation in all of our relationships but he does command us to live at peace so far as it depends on us there is not a week that goes by that we do not stand in need of receiving and extending forgiveness we all sin against and hurt others and we have all been sinned against and hurt by others in a relationship in my own life it wasn't too long ago that I recently needed to confess my own sin and repent of things that contributed to creating difficulties and hurt. My pride, my stubbornness, my failures in patience and gentleness. Is there a strained relationship in which you need to humble yourself and repent of sin and demonstrate change? Or perhaps you find yourself in need of God's help to forgive someone for the wrongs that have been done against you. Genesis 45 can help. The Spirit of God is eager to help us this morning to work in our lives. The same Spirit of God we read earlier from Galatians 5 who leads us and who wages war on sin. We're not left to ourselves in the battle against bitterness. We're not left to ourselves in the battle against an unforgiving spirit because the spirit of God himself wages war against the flesh. And that is really good news for all who feel weak and for all who feel unable. God has given us his word. He has given us his son. He has given us his spirit powerfully at work in us today following Judah's powerful speech Joseph cannot contain himself in that moment he sends out everyone but his brothers and then he weeps aloud we're told everyone in the house hears it I am your brother it's me Joseph and then in verse 4 when they would rightly cower in their sin he calls them near and as they come near he reveals his identity and he expresses forgiveness how did Joseph you think about his life think about the years that passed think about the power he now has and what he would be able to do how does Joseph find the power to forgive the great wrongs that were done against him great wrongs that would changed the entire course of his life that severed him from his family for decades 
How did he find the grace for that? Well, there's a few things. One, one way, and this is a difficult word for those who have been wronged, but it is important and it is true. One place that he found the, the power to forgive is by his strong conviction, his belief that the secret providence of God is behind the worst things done to us and that God is working all things for the good of his people. And so he says in verse 5, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me here to preserve life. And then he repeats it again in verse 7 and verse 8. God sent me here all along. He looks back on a life of hardship. He looks back on all of the misery. His darkest moments when he was unjustly treated, not only by his brothers, but by Potiphar's wife and Potiphar, thrown in prison, forgotten. He looks back on all of it and is able to see the hand of God at work. He believed, and we must believe as well, that even when we don't know the story God is writing, God is at work. And yes, there is mystery in the doctrine of God's sovereignty, but as someone said, if God were small enough to be understood, he would not be big enough to be worshipped. God is at work even in the great sins done against us. We also see in Joseph someone who is clear on the nature of forgiveness. There's a lot of misunderstanding among Christians about the nature of forgiveness. Some people think it means forgetting about everything or acting like those wrongs never happened. Some people think that forgiveness always requires uh, seeking to reestablish a relationship even if the offending party has not repented. This is where we need a, a, a biblical theology of forgiveness and this chapter can help. Forgiveness is used in scripture in several ways and this will serve you in life as you seek to walk the path of forgiveness for those who have sinned against you. John Lennox is very helpful at this point. There are several ways that forgiveness is used in scripture. One, there is an inward letting go uh, that means that we do not harbor resentment or an unforgiving spirit. It is a posture of the heart. It's something that happens entirely inward. And then second, there is the public outward letting go that pardons the offender and restores a relationship. And the distinction is important. We can truly forgive by asking God to help our hearts let go of the wrongs done against us. Rather than harboring bitterness or resentment, or having the wrongs done against us destroy us. Pray that God works that in your heart even today. But then forgiveness in the sense of outward pardon and restored trust is different. And in some cases that kind of forgiveness is often a much longer road. And requires confession and repentance in the offending party. God does not forgive people without their repentance. And in our relationships, pardoning the guilt of the offender requires repentance. Martin Luther said this, there are two kinds of sin. One is confessed and this no one should leave unforgiven. The other kind is defended and this no one can forgive 
for it refuses either to be counted as sin or to accept forgiveness. Okay, there's two kinds of sin. One is confessed. When someone confesses their sin, no one should leave it unforgiven. The other kind of sin is defended. And this no one can forgive, for it refuses either to be counted as sin or to accept forgiveness. And so as it relates to the Joseph story, Gordon Wenham says, full forgiveness and reconciliation only become possible after Judah has demonstrated a sincere repentance. Not... Not every possible expression of repentance and every action. We don't hold an impossible standard when it comes to the repentance of others. But there is a clear, evident repentance and change of heart. Wenham says, full forgiveness and reconciliation only become possible after Judah has demonstrated a sincere repentance in his words and in his willingness to take Benjamin's place. So it's not just talk. He has shown it in his willingness to take action. There has been a change. And you've seen one of the leading themes in the chapters leading up to this chapter is that Joseph has been testing the change, the transformation that God has worked in his brothers. And you see that change. They take responsibility now. They are honest. They love each other. They have guilt over their sin. They have an awareness of God. You see it not only in their words, but in their actions. They have been radically transformed. And the reason that matters is because that's what paves the way for forgiveness and restoration. The restoration doesn't happen and cannot happen if there has not been change and repentance. Just as Joseph did, we too can find the power to forgive. Understanding the good providence of God, never doubting his goodness or his purposes, understanding the nature of forgiveness, the distinction between an internal and external forgiveness and what that means for our relationships, and perhaps above all, Remembering the forgiveness that we ourselves have received from God. The power to forgive is found not in ourselves but in Christ. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Has the Lord forgiven your sin? Well, then you must be one who extends forgiveness to others. The church is called by God to be a community of compassion. To be a place in which forgiveness abounds. A family of forgiveness. We let our light shine in the darkness of this world by refusing to allow bitterness and resentment and grudges and apathy mark our relationships. May it not be in the church of Christ. May it be that love and compassion and forgiveness overflow. Let us resolve this day that we will, as difficult as it may be, we will forgive one another. We will love one another with a love that covers a multitude of sins. We will, by the grace of God, be a community of grace. Chapter 45 verse 24 
verse 24 of the passage we read, says that as his brothers left, Joseph told them, do not quarrel on the way. There's no better verse to put in the family minivan than this verse, do not quarrel on the way. I think Joseph knows his brothers a bit too well. On the way back to Egypt, they're going to be like, man, you were the one who threw him in the pit. Well, you were the one who suggested selling him into slavery. I wanted to tell dad the truth, but you guys were like, no, we can't. Joseph just says, do not quarrel on the way. You could do a whole sermon on this one verse, an urgent appeal for siblings to not argue while traveling together. Here's one lesson from this encouragement not to quarrel. When sins have been forgiven, we should not go digging them up and arguing over them. When we and when others have repented of past wrongs, we don't need to go on quarreling about who exactly is responsible for what. There is mercy to cover our sins and to cover the sins of others. We not only forgive others, we need to acknowledge our own need to be forgiven. In a chapter like this, I'm I'm very aware, and I hope you are aware as well, we, we see ourselves most clearly not in Joseph, who extends forgiveness, but in the brothers. We see ourselves in the brothers who have sinned against God and others and who desperately need to receive forgiveness. We too need to experience the grace of knowing and acknowledging our guilt, acknowledging our selfishness, acknowledging our anger, acknowledging our unkind words and actions, our emotional withdrawal from others, our self-pity, our unforgiving spirit. We need to acknowledge these things. All of these things are sins against God that deserve his holy judgment. There is no blame shifting. We must repent and say, I am a sinner who has not loved God and has not loved others as I ought. I am guilty and I look to Christ alone for the forgiveness of my sins and for salvation. We must be aware of our sins Because that is the only way that we will marvel at the forgiveness we have received from God. Because God has not left us in our sin. God has not allowed our sin to be the final word. Just as God sent Joseph to preserve many lives, so God sent Jesus to be our life and to rescue us from sin and death. When I look at Joseph, I do not see myself. Joseph graciously spares the lives of his brothers when he could have had his revenge. He provides for them so generously, giving them food, replacing their money as acts of love. In the whole second half of this chapter, he sends wagons and clothes and silver and grain. He gives them provision for the journey. And perhaps most beautifully of all, he weeps over them with a tender heart that is so full of affection. He not only forgives them, his heart toward them is so tender. It's such a soft heart. It's so full of love for them. And he speaks comforting words to them in their guilt. Who do you see when you look 
at Joseph. Who do you see when you look at the one in this chapter who says, God has sent me to save? Who says, I will provide for you. I will give you the best of the land. I will welcome you and embrace you. Joseph here is a glorious picture of Christ our Savior. We did not know Christ. We did not recognize his identity. We sinned against him. We have come to know the unbearable guilt of our many sins. But Christ, Christ is the one who made himself known to us. Christ is the one who revealed his heart for us, declaring that all our sin and all our guilt is removed. Christ is the one who has comforted us. He has, he has drawn near to us. He has comforted our fearful and troubled hearts with overwhelming tenderness, with overwhelming sympathy. You are loved with an everlasting love. He said, come near to you. He wept over you in his great love. He embraces you in his great love. He fills us with peace and with the joy of being reconciled to him. Just as the heart of Joseph overflowed with compassion and personal love at the sight of the affliction and trouble of his brothers. Know today, Christian, you wonder what is the heart of Christ in heaven for you? Know today that the heart of Christ overflows with compassion and love for you in your moment of need. He will never cast you out. No sin is too great. He is a glorious Savior. There is none like Him. He forgives all our sins. He satisfies us in the morning with His steadfast love that we might rejoice and be glad all our days. And it is experiencing His steadfast love and the riches of His mercy and forgiveness that empowers us as believers to be a people who forgive one another. Let me close with a, another remarkable story of forgiveness. It's a story that displays the power of grace and should inspire us to forgive whether the offense is equally large or whether it is much smaller. Tim Keller shares this story in his book on suffering. Georgiana is the mother of three daughters, and it was in 2011 their youngest daughter bumped her head on the floor, and x-rays revealed a skull fracture, but it seemed to be clear there were no other complications. A week later, Georgiana was home with her daughters, and police detectives and child protective services arrived. They came to investigate a, support, uh, a report of, quote, severe child abuse, which their new doctor had made based only on the x-ray and nothing more. There was no evidence of abuse, but the family was torn apart for nine months. Georgiana and her husband, Ted, were not allowed to live with their daughters, so the parents moved out and were only allowed supervised visitation. Georgiana says, I will never forget the first night away from our daughters. I was raging, crying out to God. 
In the months that followed, there was an unbearable emotional assault on their family, as well as a massive financial burden because of the legal defense and medical bills. Georgiana wasn't allowed to return to work because she works with children. Finally, the trial came, and on the fourth day, the judge dismissed the entire case as unfounded. And Georgiana says, the most powerful facilitation to our recovery has been forgiveness. She says, I think injustice is very difficult to forgive. Personally, it would have been impossible to forgive without God's intervention. And here's something else. that The family repeatedly attempted to meet with the children's hospital that ignited the whole ordeal. The chief of staff finally agreed to arrange in a meeting with the physician who reported them. They shared their experience with the hope that it never happens again to any other family. The chief of staff and the physician apologized, said that they were so sorry. And then Georgiana says this. When we were leaving the office... I hugged the doctor who had reported us. Trust me, I did not feel like showing love to that person, but God did. That was the most powerful healing and reconciliation I have ever experienced. God changed me in that moment more than he had changed me through the entire tribulation. And to this day, Georgiana and Ted praise God for his faithfulness to their family. How often it is the case that we, like Georgiana, say, I did not feel like showing love to that person. I'm sure Joseph could say the same regarding his brothers who had so greatly mistreated him. I did not feel like showing love to that person. I did not feel like forgiving that person. But God did. God is a God of abundant grace, a God of extraordinary forgiveness, and we know that because he has forgiven us. And so in light of his radical generosity and forgiveness, in light of his heart of mercy that beats for us and for all sinners, we resolve to be, by the grace of God, a people who forgive. And because he has freely forgiven us in Christ, we are able, by the power of his spirit, to freely forgive one another. He is at work in you. He will help you now and into the future to be a man or a woman who abounds in forgiveness, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you.